0: Welcome to the Precision Guided Podcast, the official podcast of the Georgetown Security Studies Review, where we cover all things national security, military, foreign policy, and history. Thank you for joining us today. We're your hosts, Kelsey Herman
1: and Max Kaplan.
0: Today's guests are Stephen Leonard and Jonathan Klug, and we'll talk about their newly published book, Power Up, Leadership, Character, and Conflict, Beyond the Superhero Multiverse, which is a treasure trove of information on the exploration of leadership, strategy, and contemporary conflict while also interrogating humanity's interactions with each other, ourselves, and even technology.
1: Steve Leonard is an award-winning faculty member at the University of Kansas School of Business, where he serves as a Senior Assistant Dean and Professor of Practice a former senior military strategist and the creative force behind the defense microblog Doctrine Man. He is a career writer and speaker with a passion for developing and mentoring the next generation of thought leaders. He's a senior fellow at the Modern War Institute, the co-founder of the national security blog Divergent Options, co-founder of the Military Writers Guild, a member of the editorial review board of the Arthur D. Simmons Center's Interagency Journal, co-author and editor of several books, including To Boldly Go, Why We Write, Winning Westeros, and Strategy Strikes Back.
0: Jonathan Klug is a professor at the U.S. Army War College, military strategist and historian. A Ph.D. candidate in military and naval history at the University of New Brunswick. He is an award-winning military history instructor and has taught at both the Air Force and Naval Academies. Thank you again, Steve and John, for being on the podcast today. We're super excited to dig into this book with you, uh, starting off with undoubtedly the most, most important question we'll ask you today. Who is your favorite superhero and why?
2: So I can answer that one first. That's, uh, I grew up as that little kid, the skinny kid in glasses. So the first superhero I identified with was obviously Peter Parker. And the way those comics were written, that was the icon for every nerdy little kid out there that, you know, the one character that we could all relate to. He was normal. He was one of us. You know, he was the math science guy, you know, so those those of us who kind of fell into that niche as kids could really easily identify with him. And then, you know, Spider-Man that's become, that becomes the hero. And Spider Spider Spider-Man is that flawed hero that deals with all the normal life things that you deal with. And it's something that we kind of teased out in the introduction that Stan Lee created that character specifically to create something that was just normal in the, in the way that, you know, no other superhero is, is, is some normal everyday kid who has powers thrust on him. And so that was always my favorite superhero.
3: I think for me, um, this is tough. It's a really tough question. Um, Just because I I like so many of them. But I guess for me, it comes down to uh, Dr. Strange edging out probably Batman, Conan, and Spawn. There you go. Um, I think part of that has to do with um, how I first was exposed to Comics. And that was, uh, I put this in my chapter about how my uncle had a copy of Strange Tales 111. And I was really, really young. And uh, I was just fascinated because it was the first time I'd seen anything, um, the first time I'd seen a comic book. Um, And then later on, you know, so many others. And I grew up on Saturday morning cartoons with Spider Man and his amazing friends. So there was a particular episode in. That uh, cartoon that had Doctor Strange, I was just fascinated. So, that's a little bit of uh, that backstory.
0: That's awesome. I personally am a huge like Bat Family gal, like Batgirl, Nightwing. The lore has always fascinated me. So, what about you, Max?
1: I'd say recently, I've also was a a Bat Family person for a very long time, but I'd say most recently, I've been really getting into Superman, um, especially just because of how more recent things have portrayed him as Clark Kent first and Superman second. Um, And I think that that just regular person who has all the power in the world and chooses to be good is so inspiring in our world. That's very cynical right now. I think
2: that's that's a really important thing to tease out because Superman for a long time wasn't that interesting and and i and i think what made him interesting is that very what you what you mentioned max is let's tease out the humanness in him let's make him normal first let's make him clark kent and then let's do everything else the the more the more relatable you can make those characters the more we embrace them and the more fun we have with them
1: that actually leads into to my first question which is in the past few decades superheroes have really exploded in popularity really become a center point in in pop culture, yet superhero media is is very diverse, right? You have someone like Superman on one side, someone hypothetically like Punisher on the other, you know, very different heroes with very different uh, stories. And so my question is, what do you think um, makes superheroes unique and different from other heroes? And more broadly, what do like superheroes mean to each one of you?
2: So I would say that um, I'm a strong believer that superheroes are contemporary mythic characters that uh, like Zeus and Apollo and and those of antiquity, that the superheroes have replaced them in our culture as our, our mythical beings. And what makes them so interesting and captivating is that they allow us to explore the world through these larger than life characters. Uh, to dive into the dilemmas that we all face and so we don't have to face them ourselves. They give us a safe space to to look at the world and explore the world and ourselves within that world. Uh, and, and the real power, I think, is that if the stories are well told, they, they offer us an opportunity to reflect on our own values and ethics if we allow them to uh, present dilemmas, present situations that if you're really into the storytelling, that it'll make you stop and take pause um, and think about where you fit into that puzzle and how you would react. Um, and the more flawed they are, frankly, the more relatable they become, uh, that, 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 that humanness in them makes them relatable and then the deeper that we can look into ourselves and and like i said if you can wrap all that around a a compelling narrative you've got an irresistible formula that's proven itself over the millennia that that that's how you use mythology and that's what you do with it and that's how you you tease out the good storytelling and and i imagine in a couple of thousand years people are going to be talking about these characters in the same way looking back on them as these were our mythological characters of our time
0: Awesome. John, would you like to add anything? Yeah, I I think Steve
3: is absolutely right. I mean, despite the trappings of superheroes having abilities beyond human norms, so mutants like the X-Men, altered humans like Spider-Man and Captain America, technology users like Iron Man, magic users like Doctor Strange, or or a combination of all those, fundamentally, they're, they're characters in larger stories. So I don't see much difference between... Superheroes and heroes—they're just heroes. They're 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 people um, who are trying to right or wrong, trying to fight injustice. And, and while they're doing it, they're putting themselves—they're putting something at risk while doing so.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense uh, and answers a lot of my next question. But we can dig even deeper into it. Um, so, how did you think to link leadership studies, strategy, conflict resolution, all the topics that? The essays in this book touch on two superheroes and their world, uh, something which on the face of things seems really detached from reality, even as we just talked about how actually relatable they are to everyday people.
2: Oh, I I love this. I love this question Um, because this is something that we've done in the past. Uh, We worked this uh, from the Modern War Institute. We worked this with Strategy Strikes Back a few years ago, about 2018, which approached all of this from the lens of Star Wars. And then John and I led this again from, uh, with To Boldly Go, which did the same thing, but more, much more broadly looked at all of science fiction. And um, those were really fun projects, but there was still something else to explore. And that was what we got to with that last question was we never really looked at modern mythology. And, and the superhero genre provides that. So there was, uh, there was an opportunity there. And there's books available. You can find, you know, Captain America looks at leadership or how so-and-so looks at this. But nothing that really broadly opened the aperture to look at this whole genre uh, from a much more diverse perspective. Um, and to be completely honest, uh, this was this is my jam. Kind of like John. You know, we, we grew up reading comic books, I, I joked it. I've wanted to do this since I was a nine-year-old kid reading um, Amazing Spider-Man number 101 and I when I was a kid I was nine years old I still hadn't turned 10 yet and I bought like for a penny a copy of this of this comic book it was a 15 cent comic book bought it from the used bookstore and it was thrashed it was only a month or two old but it was thrashed it was held together with staples but the story was Absolutely fascinating. It introduces Morbius, and not the boring Morbius you saw in the films, but the real Morbius, the living vampire, who is dealing with his own crises, and then he comes, he confronts Peter Parker, who Peter has decided he wants to get rid of his powers. He wants to cure his powers because he's tired of the responsibility that they thrust upon him. And so he reaches out to his professor at uh, at University, Kirk Connors, who eventually becomes a lizard, uh, to help him find a formula. He takes the formula. He grows four more arms, becomes more of a monster than he thought he was. And Stan Lee and Roy Thomas, who wrote the story, just just dig deep into these issues. It's not just a superhero story. It's Morbius, who who is a monster but really has a conscience and wants to do good uh, but he's absolutely tormented by who he's become trying to cure his own affliction. You know, you got Spider-Man who I, I'm, I'm tired of being responsible for so much. I just want to be a teenage kid. Um, and you have all of this mixed in. And, and there's so many issues that they dig into. And this also falls on the heels of the death of Gwen Stacy's father in the previous issue. So Spider-Man has all this stuff going on in his life. He's got so much on his shoulders and then he made the situation worse. And the only cure that he can actually find is he's got to figure out a way to work with this, this freaking horrible looking vampire dude that just came out of nowhere. And, and it just, that's it. You can take a story like that and you can talk about it for an entire semester because they get into so many issues that are are common in our lives, but they're but they're, they're teased out in a completely different way. And and that that was something that I would say I carried around in the back of my head for the next 40 years, waiting for a chance to use that story to tell another story. And then I ended up using a different story to tell my story. But it's similar. That's those the motivations there, those stories. Those superhero stories, those hero stories, those monster stories, they give so much context to, to, to explore different issues. And that's why I think the book is as fun as it was to pull together because you get all those stories that you don't even think about that somebody read a story, you know, 10-year-old Max read a story that stuck with him or, you know, Kelsey saw an episode uh, or, or watched, you know, the, the original Batman movie with Michael Keaton and something stuck with you and it, it's there and you want to tell the story, you want to talk about how it affected you and that's where that motivation comes from.
3: Steve and I have, have, have talked about this and we've had a lot of fun working on, uh, these projects and, and from the top, it is about exploring real world issues through metaphor. Uh, so when we did to boldly go, I think that's exploring in a lot of ways, the fundamental question of science fiction, which is often, what does it mean to be human? Um, and perhaps this book, uh, you know it's it's different but perhaps what it does is it explores the human condition especially uh we often talk about in comic books younger characters uh, dealing with the challenges of of youth of of who you are and and growing up and who do you want to be so i i think it explores uh leader both books explored leadership and ethics um from different angles but again i think this is This is fundamentally aimed at the audience. I think that comics perhaps were were interested in those, those real life challenges of day-to-day life for everyone.
0: Yeah, that checks out. Um, We have a class here at Georgetown that looks at fiction and, you know, strategy and security. And I've heard only great things about that class. And it sounds like it is also tackling a lot of these issues and things to think about that we read about in this book. Lots of the essays in this book uh, specifically ruminate on what makes a good leader on the tactical level, ethically, emotionally, you know, all these sorts of elements that pull together th- th- to make a great leader. So, what are some key lessons you'd like to share uh, on what it means to be a good leader?
2: Oh, that's a that's a that's a great question. And that's uh oh god, what does it mean to be a great leader? That's like a, one of the world. And it actually it actually relates to something that I I think we'll eventually end up talking about, which is how we how we define ourselves as leaders. And I I think that there's that 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 genre gives you a really good platform to think about this kind of thing, because you have such a, a wide variety of different people who take on different aspects of 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 providing purpose, of providing vision. Of, of motivating people uh all of this comes out differently in different characters you have captain america who by all accounts is you know everything we all aspire to be and yet he's still flawed when that comes out in matt lancaster's chapter uh dealing with uh, the civil war series um you have uh magneto is a, is a leader within the X-Men uh, universe that even though he's largely considered a villain, somebody with a vision, somebody who has a backstory that defines that vision, he's still a leader, but he's a flawed leader. And I think that's, in a lot of cases, you you tease out the flaws. Like John was saying, you know, science fiction it forces you to answer the question, you know, what is humanity and what, what's our role in the universe? And in the same vein, you take the comics and you say, okay, who are you as, a, as an individual? And you want to look to somebody as a leadership figure, but you see these people and they're all fundamentally flawed. Reed Richards, the leader of the Fantastic Four. Have you ever seen anybody who couldn't pay his bills? Every other every other issue was something about the Baxter building being repossessed or f- foreclosed on because he forgot to pay the power bill or the mortgage or whatever. And you're like, okay, well, how can you be the leader of of the world's greatest superhero team but you can't pay your bills on time? There are these kinds of things that I think that uh, – that, that allows us to look at leaders. And if you, if you allow yourself to do that, look at leaders as flawed individuals, then we look around us and there are no perfect leaders. And and, and the, the comments can help you understand that and then deal with it a little bit better, I think.
3: Yeah, I, I guess uh, I, well, first of all, I completely agree with Steve. I, I think also for me, um, I'm always taken back to superheroes always seem to pick themselves up in the, in the darkest hours and keep fighting. We see that over and, and over again. So again, back to Captain America, I can do this all day. We've all felt exhausted and beaten down uh, at some point in real life. And, and super superhero stories can help us get off the mat. So, so the character is leading the reader, uh, so to speak. And, and then I guess more broadly, leaders not only have to get off the mat after an epic beatdown you know whether it's someone uh invading the fortress of solitude or in the boardroom you have to get others to do the same thing you have to encourage others to keep fighting the legion of doom or reprint the quarterly training brief again um we've all been there so i think that's uh one way that can come back to us as as readers as watchers of, of movies and TV series and, and, and thinking back to that. So I, I guess a little rocky in with our uh, superheroes.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, and I think there's definitely something to be said about you know, sort of like this osmosis infusion of good traits in a person, you know, yes, a leader, but also a good follower and a good team member and a good citizen. And we sort of get that through our fiction and what you've written about in your book Comics is also a great source for that. Next question. Uh, Reading the book, there's a really diverse array of people working in all sorts of different sectors, different focuses and interpretations from these important lessons to take away. Uh, So you had like military strategists across all the services. Even I thought I saw some Australian service members in there professors, screenwriters, other media-making people. So how did you decide who to invite to write an essay for the book and even which essays to include?
2: So do you remember what you said uh, when we were when we were uh, early on in this, when you mentioned the network and how your network puts you where you are today? This oh. is very much a network book. So we wrote To Boldly Go during the midst of the pandemic and never once... Had a face-to-face with any of the writers not one everything was done virtually across email across zoom across teams whatever uh, all done virtually and and it was the same thing here but we we also found a formula and one of the common criticisms of these kinds of books these anthologies are that you tend to get people who all look and think the same to write and that was something that john and i Every project that we've worked on, we tackle this at some point. Is how do you avoid getting all the same thinking people in the same room? And, and so you purposely go out and you find people that don't fit the mold, and and you tap into the network. So you know, pull up LinkedIn, pull up whatever. Who do I know? Who do I know on Twitter that I know has a penchant for this kind of thing? Because they like they they go to Comic Con or they do cosplay or they do something. Who's into this? And who do I think can write? And then you reach out to them and you go through that process. But you purposely find people that don't look like you, that don't think like you, that don't work in the same industry with you, that are are absolutely different. And, and then it, that's when you end up with, hey, how do you get a presidential speechwriter on here? How do you get the vice president of BET in here? How do you get you know, the creator of Batman, the animated series in here, you just network and you continually look for people who don't look like you, who don't think like you, who don't act like you, who all still have a 12-year-old kid inside of them who just want to tell a story like this and say, hey, this is how something affected me. And in the end, you end up with just this rich diversity of storytelling that makes it all worthwhile. And it's not, honestly, it's not that hard to do. It, It takes a little bit of extra effort on the front end but the end result is that you get a book that people can pick up and then read and say, Hey, I'm getting something different. Every single chapter, I get a, I get a completely different perspective. I get a different way of looking at things. I get a different way of articulating things. Uh, I get men, I get women, I get, I I get people from this country or that country, or this walk of life or, or, you know, that work in this industry. And it's, and it's great. It's wonderful because there you go. That's the value of diversity that I think we miss in society. Is that there's a, there's a there's a, a real goodness to what you can achieve if you if you just let diversity do its own thing, and you don't try to force it. You 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 cultivate it, and you look for it, and then you get the right you get the talented people. And that's like not to not to go down a, a different path, but. I think sometimes we look at diversity as an end and not a means to an end. And so we we take diversity, but we don't we stop looking for talent. We want the diversity, but we don't seek the talent hard enough. And so as we look for diverse voices and diverse perspectives, we also did a really hard hunt for talent because it doesn't do you any good to have somebody who brings a different perspective who can't write, for example. I gotta find somebody who can write, and, and we have to find somebody who brings that full that full wealth of of experience to it. Um, and that's a little bit that's a little tough, but it's worth it in the end. That's that's where we get to, and that's how we get there.
0: Yeah, that's definitely something good to be aware of in all of our work. Yeah,
3: I, I think Steve covered the vast majority of it. The key thing is is just having a topic. and 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 wanting the 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 broadest possible tent to bring in that that stable of of potential chapter authors who are are naturally creative people and get out of their way you know i mean just let them explore the topics uh that they want to do within again a broader arc a genre whatever you want to say and and then you know help them frame things but then get out of their way and and i think we were really successful in that you know we would have folks come back in early days to like i said help frame their chapter a little bit but after that it it, it made editing um the larger end of editing uh, very easy you know it was just uh, helping folks mechanically you know here there um you know that second or third set of eyes but fundamentally it's it's letting people be creative getting the right group and letting them explore things
1: So our next two questions are to Steve and John, uh, respectively. The first question is for Steve. As stated before, you're you're a man who wears many hats and has seen leadership from from many different angles. Your chapter, Where Monsters Dwell, is on the subject of monsters and how heroes can be found in the form of monstrous creatures. So my question was, why in this particular book write about um, that intersection? And what about that particular archetype of the monstrous heroes speaks to you and what can it teach us about leadership?
2: So I I love this question. So and then you obviously read the chapter and, and how I came to that chapter, I have no idea. Uh, it's a very random thought, but this is something and I mentioned it with Morbius uh, earlier. But as a kid, I actually related really well to. Uh, the monsters that they created. And it's uh, it was largely a Marvel comics kind of thing, although you see it from different comics. The 60s and the 70s were the heyday for creating monsters that were really, in, in, when you really dug deep into who they were, they were just reflections of ourselves. So, I mean, the, the common story is uh, Bruce Banner who becomes the Hulk. And the Hulk is nothing more than the manifestation of the rage that's within all of us. Uh, that anger and, and and it's just a wildly unbridled anger it's not that the hulk wants to go around and destroy everything it's that what happens if you just let that anger go and you give a superhero strength not good things can happen but believe beneath it all there's a redeemable character there's a redeemable heart and I, like i mentioned with morbius it was you know there's a certain shtick to all this too which i think was is kind of the, the fun thing is Almost every one of these monsters is created through some accidents. You have Morbius, who, you know, I have a, I have a bloodborne form of of, of leukemia. I'm assuming it was leukemia. I don't remember anymore. So I'm going to experiment my, with myself with vampire bats until I cure it. Well, I, I, that makes perfect sense. The man thing was okay i'm creating a super soldier serum uh, and i happen to be working in the swamp and oh god the the bad people are chasing me i'm gonna go into the swamp and i can't let them catch the stuff so i'll inject myself with it in the swamp but they're all, so they all had this shtick about how they create themselves but down deep they're all redeemable characters and like us it gives us hope that even our flawed selves that there's goodness there that uh we just, we just It just takes it to a new level in terms of, one, relating to who they are, uh, but also that, uh, that, 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 that they can be redeemed. And I think from a leadership perspective, that reminds us that as leaders, that people have things that are going on in their lives and, and that we have to understand that. And when we make decisions that affect people's lives, that we need to understand that, okay, you know, Max has a raging anger monster inside of him. So let's figure out how to deal with that before we make decisions that affect Max, and maybe bring out that. Uh, And and I use the example of, you know, when one of my students starts to miss class for no reason, or a subordinates work quality slips, taking the time as a leader to figure out what's going on with that individual before before taking action or doing something that affects them. We all have things happening in life. As a leader, these monsters remind us that it helps to understand and relate to what people were going through before we make decisions. And that drove that chapter.
0: That's awesome. Uh, So, John, for you, I work in cybersecurity, so your chapter was especially awesome to read. Uh, Can you walk us through how you thought about magic as a helpful metaphor for understanding cyber warfare Uh, and explain how it helps you conceptualize this kind of invisible, intangible domain.
3: Sure, I will will give it a shot. And and in a lot of ways, my uh, advisor always said, uh, we write to know. So I wrote this chapter uh, in a lot of ways to try to figure out cyber warfare, it, it, from my own it, for my own purposes, you know, I, how, what do I think? What does this mean? So, I, it comes down to all stories um, have rules, and, and, and that's part of world building. So, when the authors create the world, like uh, Game of Thrones, where Martin creates that world, Marvel is its own world, DC is its own world. So, and that's true for for magic in the DC and Marvel universes. Um, Magic can do some amazing, seemingly inexplicable things. But when you understand it, it it's just another reality. It's another science. Therein lies uh, its use as a metaphor. It might be alien, it might be strange, but it has its own rules. And for two foes who understand it, like Dr. Strange and his nemesis, Baron Mordo, they can use it to engage in uh, a magical combat, magical duel that no one in the real world Uh, is occurring and i think that that's a parallel with cyber warfare so in other words uh the more concrete aspects of warfare you know land combat tanks infantry etc uh air planes drones etc and and then uh naval warfare same kinds of things those are all very tangible very easy to see but you can you can't see the cyber conflict that could be going on because it's so fast. It happens at the speed of light. Uh, and this gets to Colin Gray's really he, he has eight points on cyber warfare, I think are tremendously useful. But just just two of them. One is that cyber warfare is instantaneous. And the other is that it's it's global or perhaps more specifically, it's spatially irrelevant and that physical location is is does is meaningless so your gps coordinates don't matter again for warfare it's another domain that can affect other domains so if you win in the cyber domain you can inherently affect the physical domains or then successively uh, affect cyber domain so tackling that that nebulous invisible instantaneous aspect of it i think that's the most important uh part of what I learned from writing this
0: chapter. Yeah. I think that's super helpful, especially for people who are trying to educate themselves on something like that.
1: My uh, last question is a lot of these articles, both inside the section on ethical leadership and outside of it, focus a lot on the ethics and character of leaders. Do you think that that focus on ethics within a lot of the chapters? is something inherent to the superhero genre? How important are ethics in being a superheroes? And what can superhero stories teach us about our own ethical frameworks as we move through the world?
2: So this question just really hit me because um, in in my day-to-day life, the the alter ego that's an assistant dean in a school of business, one of my roles is I manage the ethics portfolio for the school and it's something that I have I have leaned on for years that that we need to have touch points where we go through and we review ethical frameworks for decision making every year with the students. So when we release the students into the wild that there's a there's a common grounding in how we make decisions ethically. and what I've never, what I've always struggled with is you always get these case studies that are really black and white. So, uh, and I, I discussed one yesterday in class, we talked about Theranos and the challenges that went on with Theranos and the fact that, you know, hey, where did it end up? It was Elizabeth Holmes in jail, you know, until 2032. And, but it doesn't really challenge the students because they can look at a case study and go, yep, it's right or wrong it's black and white it's an easy case of you knew what she was doing was wrong you might spend some time peeling back the onion on whether um, her decision making was driven by a desire to you know push the technology before, beyond where it was or if she was just unethical in general those are questions you can ask, ask but when you're trying to teach people how to think ethically and make and, and use these frameworks for ethical decision making you got to have have to have something situations that put people in the gray because that's where these things really get challenging is when they're not black and white that it's shades of gray to deal with and and it occurred to me when you asked that question was the answer that i've been been looking for is that the that i might be able to pull from the comics to fill a niche within teaching ethical decision making and strategy for example because in every in every case that ethics is central to how we look at these these characters getting back to the first question you know we're all defined by our ethics or the lack thereof and superheroes they give us that safe space to to explore those ethical dilemmas to test our ethical frameworks to reflect and consider how we might do things differently are are our decision-making frameworks sufficient and it teases out that Marvel ethos the whole time, and I say Marvel ethos, regardless of the of the publisher, the whole with great power comes great responsibility. So what do you do with that power? And that's the that's the root issue that you try to get to. You have the power, you have to make the decision. And you know, let's go to the end of of Marvel Endgame when when Tony Stark is faced with the decision to to sacrifice his own life. I mean, that's an ethical dilemma of sorts. Are you willing to give it all to save the world? And, and that's the extreme example, but it's such a captivating story. And then it forces people to ask the question, could I do that? If the rules were reversed, do I have the moral courage to make that decision? Could I do that? And, and so in different ways, the comics present those situations to you, these, these ethical dilemmas that you have to decide what you want to do. And and so you see, okay, the 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 villain makes a choice. I'm a superpowered villain. I'm gonna use my powers to do something bad. And the good guy maybe do something good, but then there's the ones in the gray area that might do something bad to create something good. Um, it's just that, that I love that about these stories and and they are they bring us back to you're not just dealing with real world problems you're dealing with ethical problems all the time and teasing those out and I think that question your question Max just solved a problem that I had and when we're done I have to go write notes to myself so I don't forget this because I think I know that the next case study I do in strategy is going to be based on comics and the kids are going to love it so hey thanks for that by the way
1: Always happy to help. Just to
3: echo Steve, he's I, he's absolutely right. I think we've seen in the last thirty years, this has become even more prominent in the uh, in the genres as, as far as having superheroes explore ethical dilemmas in in the gray areas. You know, the the storylines often forcing superheroes to explore the the contours, the ethical contours of of, of their decision making. So, but I think this also goes back to really uh, superheroes' ethics uh are a key component if not the key component of the character and often their origin story so we've talked about superman today you know he's underpinned by uh his upbringing in kansas and and then later you know being exposed to kryptonian uh values as well and, and fundamentally wanting to minimize violence and looking for his role in the world you know contrast that with batman driven by a childhood tragedy of witnessing the murder of his parents and how that affects his ethics you know he will he will beat his enemies to a pulp but one will not use a firearm so superhero stories are often at least partly driven by exploring the main character's ethics how many times have we seen a superhero confronted by a nemesis saying you know we're the same you and i and the typical rejoinder of that that confrontation where the same you and I bit is I'm not like you for fill in the blank reason you know so exploring the dif- the difference in ethics to try to achieve the the character's goals You also see the importance of another aspect of the genre when ethics between superheroes uh, are juxtaposed and um there we, we see Batman and Superman in the recent DC movies same thing with Captain America and Iron Man we already mentioned Civil War earlier and um, I think also it, it's interesting to think about Daredevil and Punisher in the Marvel uh, TV series when they're both taking on uh, Wilson Fisk. So I think the characters, the difference between the, the, the heroes can drive the stories in many cases uh, as well. The list goes on. You could talk about the friction between Cyclops and Wolverine. So a lot of ground that you could explore there.
0: Well, this has been awesome. I'm definitely inspired to dig more into some comic book lore beyond my favorite Bat Family genre. Um, so, are there any kind of final remarks either of you would like to share to finish finish off this talk?
2: I just want to I just want to say thanks for having us on here. This is it's fun to have this kind of conversation with somebody and to really get an opportunity to talk about what drives us and what we find interesting in the world and then how we can apply those things into our professional lives, which, which just really gets back to, uh, and as part of the attraction to this, uh, I just, I'm just really thankful for, for the opportunity to do this. And also, uh, this isn't, this isn't the end where we have John and I already have a separate project working on uh, strategy and logistics that John cooked up that, uh, that, uh, you know, we never stop working, but then we're also working to, In the early stages of thinking through how we might do this with just monsters and that's something that i don't think anybody has really touched you know but there's you think about frankenstein dracula uh go through time and think of all the monsters that are out there that actually told really good stories that we related to i'd like to be able to pull all that together and that's something that uh our co-editor john nickham kind of cooked up a while back about why don't we try this and just love the idea. I, I, and, and so I'm hoping that we can take what we've done here and then translate it further. So that last section of the book that might actually be a teaser for an entirely new book and, and really excited to be able to pursue that when the time comes.
3: Yeah, I just wanted to echo Steve, you know, thanks for the opportunity. This has been a lot of fun. Both uh, To Boldly Go and and Power Up have been enjoyable. We talked about the other two projects that uh, we have, you know, one working now and one that we're thinking about. Um, I'll just uh, close by saying I got dibs on Godzilla. Uh,
0: I think that would be awesome, especially as like you know, a lot of the times we're introduced to these stories when we're younger, and then when we get older, we're realizing, oh, I perhaps identify more with the villain in these stories than I do with the hero. Now, and uh, and as I'm an adult in the real world, you know, so that'd be, I'm I'm gonna read that book. <laughs> um, well, thank you both once again for coming on and talking with us. We'll see you next time.
2: Thanks for having us. We really appreciate uh, your time this morning and just being able to jog back and forth a little bit.
0: Absolutely.
1: As a reminder, the views expressed on the podcast are the views of the participants alone and do not represent the views or opinions of Georgetown University, the Precision Guided Podcast, or any other agency.
0: Thank you for listening to the Precision Guided Podcast. Follow the Georgetown Security Studies Review on social media to stay up to date on the latest Precision Guided Podcast episodes and GSSR content. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn, or you can visit our website at georgetownsecuritystudiesreview.org.
1: Thank you to all our listeners out there. This is the Precision Guided Podcast, the official podcast of the Georgetown Security Studies Review.